0: In our fourth installment of our beginner series, we're going to talk about going all grain. And we're going to talk about going all grain by brewing in a bag. I think that brewing in a bag is the greatest way really to start going all grain just because it's easy to approach and it doesn't need a lot of equipment. So that's what we're going to talk about this week on Homebrewing DIY. Drop a magnetic scrubber into your carboy and be able to scrub away all of the grime in that hard-to-clean cruisin. They are no match for Scrubber Duckies, and you can get yours today at scrubberduckies.com. Once again, head over to scrubberduckies.com. welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts. This show covers it all. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about the fourth installment of our beginning homebrewing series. And we're going to talk about going all grain and doing your first batch. And we're going to talk about doing that as a -a brew-in-a-bag style beer. This is probably the most approachable way to go all grain. And so I'm really excited to dive into this amazing method for doing an all grain beer. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's because of you that this show can come to you week after week for free. I'd like to thank our newest patron, John Hunt, for giving at the supporter level. Thank you, John. It's a very significant piece of support and any little bit helps. And just so you know right now i am saving up trying to get a new mixer for my podcasting setup trying to improve the show and it will allow me to do a lot more things i'm currently halfway there the 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 cost of this new mixer is pretty significant and so all of the support from our ad money from patreons from coffee is all going towards that mixer so Any little bit of support helps, and I want to thank all of you for giving support and all of you in the future that will give support. So once again, thank you. The other thing that you can do to support the show is write us a review. You can head over to podchaser.com and leave us a review. Or if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, just scroll to the bottom of this episode at the podcast page and leave us a five-star review. Those reviews are going to help others find the show, and the feedback is super important to me. I've actually made direct changes to this podcast based on feedback. So please give me feedback. I want to hear it. Another way to support the show is by heading over to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer. If you use our sponsor links there or sponsor banners, they know that we sent you. Your prices don't change, but they will also Give us support in terms. So there are banners for brewinabag.com. So if you're looking for a brand new brew bag, they have the best one out there. We also have Adventures in Home Brewing and Brew Father. And if you click on those links, your prices stay the same, but they know that we sent you and then in turn support the show. Another way to support the show is you can give us a one-time support over at coffee.com and that's ko-fi.com forward slash DIY. Giving it coffee is a great way to support the show and essentially you're just buying me a beer. I would love for any of our listeners to buy me a beer. So head over to coffee.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. couple of cool projects going on in my brew world. I... I talked a bit about them last week, and I've now finished my Kvike beer that I made with Ryan Packmeyer, and we made a pilsner trying to make a pseudo-pilsner out of Kvike yeast. It's now kegged, carbonated, and I've now tasted the beer. We used the Scare Kvike on this beer, and I have to say, it was a really tasty beer. First of all, this strain came out super clean, even though I fermented it at insane temperatures. We started off at 75 degrees and then ramped it up to 85 after a couple of days. And this thing had already dropped all the way down to 1.003 in about three days. And I, I actually had to cold crash it cause I didn't want it to get too dry. It had actually gone further than I wanted it to kind of crazy. The Kvike is a pretty amazing beer. This was my first Kvike beer I've made and I'm definitely going to make more. And The one thing I will say about the Kvike is that I'm very impressed with the flavor. It tastes really good. It's surprisingly really clean. And it's kind of mind-blowing when you think about just making a beer that hot and having it not taste like total crap. So pretty cool. I, I highly recommend any of those strains like the Voss or the Scar. Really cool stuff. And also, as I discussed, I made my gluten-free beer. It's just finishing finishing up that fermentation, and I will get it kegged here soon. I'm actually kind of running out of room in my kegerator, and I still have a mead that I need to keg. So I got a lot going on, and a lot of things going into my kegerator, and not enough coming out. I might have to have—well, the thing that sucks is because of COVID— I can't just have friends over to drink all my beer. And so I'm kind of getting backed up, but still for the love of brewing. Now I'd like to jump into a bit of listener feedback that I just received. I got a email from Zach Anderson, and this is what he said. Hey, Coulter, love the podcast. Thanks for putting out a great product and I hope it continues to grow for you. I didn't realize until I started listening that there are so many DIY tech projects that can be incorporated into brewing. I haven't brewed for long, but there is definitely a ferment track build or an ice spindle in my future. You've spoken so highly of them that I can't wait to watch them ferment live in, in, in that sense. I've never made anything like that before. And as far as building out boards and the programming, so I'm a bit nervous. I have done an ITC 1000 build and that was easy peasy. I'm looking forward to seeing your new build and following your guide on how to build one. Sorry, this has gotten so long. But my question is that I heard you mention a DIY temp and humidity sensor that you and you made one in your past shows. And that got me very interested. I thought it might be a great intro into these types of projects. Do you still happen to have the plans or some sort of information to point me in the right direction on the internet for a novice getting started something like this thank you and keep up the good work zach so i did reply to zach and i sent him the link to a specific set of instructions and how to build out the temperature and humidity sensor with an arduino it's actually super easy considering it doesn't need much more than like a resistor, the temperature sensor, and an Arduino with a with even a copy paste of the sketch to put into it. It's a pretty cool project, Zach, and thank you so much for the feedback. I really do appreciate it. And if any of you other listeners have feedback, you can always send it to podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer or you could head over to our website homebrewingdiy.beer and fill out the contact form and i'll get back to you pretty quick i i'm very responsive with my feedback that being said it is time to jump into this week's episode where we're going to talk about brewing in a bag Well, this week, we're going to talk about going all grain and the best ways to go all grain as a beginner. This is the fourth installment of our beginner series. And hopefully, you've listened to all of the other three weeks. If this is your first week, totally cool to go from here. And you can always go back and listen to the other beginner series episodes. But the idea is that you've started an extract batch, You've learned a bit about some ingredients such as yeast. We talked about homebrewing software. And now we're going to start talking about how to brew in a bag and possibly do your first all-grain batch. And first thing we want to talk about is the set of equipment that you need to go all-grain. So if you are doing extract batches, chances are you have a, a smaller stock pot. And what I've seen with most extract brewers is that they tend to have a smaller pot, somewhere between that three and five gallon range. That pot's going to work really great for extract. But once you go to all grain, you're just going to need some more space. And if you're going to go with a brew in a bag method, you're definitely going to need a lot more space. So when you go with brew in a bag, what I tell the Brew in a bag user who's just starting out is that whatever the amount of the batch that you want to brew. So, for example, if I want to do five gallon batches, you're going to need a 10 gallon pot. That 10 gallon pot is going to give you enough room to fit all of your grain, all of your water for the entire batch. And be able to boil it off and absorb it up to where when you're done, you have five to five and a half gallons left. If you're going to do a 10-gallon batch, you're going to need somewhere between an 18 to 20-gallon pot to fit all of the grain that's going to go in there. And to, to basically take the full volume of your entire mash and your entire boil all in one single vessel. And that is the difference between the standard all grain setups that you're going to see out there as you start to progress through your homebrewing life, where you look at like three, ga- three vessel systems. And when you see a three vessel system, the three vessel system is, doesn't need as much pot per stage, but you also need three pots. So in all reality, it's easier to approach brew in a bag because you're looking at doing this with a single pot. So let's talk about what brew in a bag is, essentially. You have a kettle. In that kettle, you're going to have the full volume of your entire brew day in one pot. You're also going to have to have a nylon bag, and you want to have a food-safe a food nylon bag that you're going to use to basically strain all of the grains out of your wort when you want to get them out to so that you can get to your boil and actually make beer think of it as like a gigantic tea bag i know that that's kind of a easy way to think about it but essentially that's what you're doing you're 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 taking all of the grains you're going to steep them in a certain temperature of water to get the conversion from sugars to basically be able to the, the conversion of the malted barley to sugar. And then you're going to have to remove that barley particulate and it's easy to do so with this straining bag that you're going to essentially lift out of the pot and therefore make yourself some wort and then boil and make beer. So the big difference between brewing a bag and the steps that are going to be included in brewing a bag and all grain in general that you didn't do in extract badges is now you have to start adding grain to your recipes. And we talked a bit about that in your previous episode where we talked about brewing software. We also talked about how to create a recipe. So if that's something that's above your level, go back and listen to that episode because it's going to give you some information on how to input your recipe into a brewing software and how to actually make a recipe in general we go through those steps but let's say you've created your recipe you're now going to sit down and create your first brew in a bag batch so the one big step that wasn't there before when you were brewing extract was the mash and if you ever did a partial mash, so for example, if you had a, a kit that you got, uh, you had a muslin bag that you steeped grains in for about 45 minutes to an hour to add color and flavor to your beer. That step is going to be very similar with brewing in a bag, except for we're going to do it with all of the base malt and all of the flavoring malts as well. And when we add to the, and that process is actually called mashing. And what is mashing? Mashing is the process of taking the starches that are, and the enzymes that are within the grains, and getting them to the right temperature to where those enzymes interact with the starches and convert to sugars. And there's a certain range of temperature that does that. And that range of temperature actually starts at around 140 degrees and finishes at about 160 degrees. There's a 20 degree temperature variable. And within that, you're going to get different aspects of your mash that are going to affect how your beer is going to behave. So, for example, if you're at the lower end of the 140s or in the 140s, you're going to make a highly fermentable beer. So think of it this way. If you mash in at a 145 then that you hold that temperature for an hour and you convert all of your sugars at 145 you're going to have a highly fermentable beer and it's going to allow you to finish at a lower gravity therefore also giving you a higher alcohol content but it's going to give you less body in your beer and doing a good mash is Kind of finding that balance between the right amount of body and the right amount of alcohol to actually make a great beer. And if you do in the low 150s, think of that. So 150 to 154, you're going to be looking for now a medium body beer. And anything 155 or above to 160, you're looking for a more full bodied beer. And so the idea between those temperatures are things like, let's say I'm making a stout and I still want it to have a lot of alcohol because, like, for example, if you're making a stout, you're probably going to put a lot of grain in it anyway. But the idea is that a stout is also if you mashed in at a higher mash, you're going to have a higher finishing gravity, therefore a little bit more residual sugar and therefore giving you more body. So sweetness and sugar is going to add body to the mouthfeel and more alcohol And less sugar is going to make your beer seem thinner, but also have a more dry flavor. If you think of it this way, if you use fermentables like honey or you use fermentables like like pure sugar or even wine, they're going to finish a lot lower than beer because beer has certain types of sugars, which are called maltose. And maltose is non-fermentable and allows beer to actually retain some of its body. Essentially, when you're mashing, you're kind of adjusting the temperature to figure out how fermentable your wort is going to be. So that's a quick 101 on what mashing is, and that's going to be very important for your process. The other thing that you're going to have to think about when you brew in a bag, and we talked about this in our grain meals episode, is the you're, you're going to have to mill grain. So you're going to purchase grain. For example, you're going to get some base malts like two row and you're going to have to crack the husk off of that grain. And with brew in a bag, you're going to want to get a bit of a finer mill. You're going to, So if you're going to go to a homebrew store, chances are they're going to mill the grains for you. And if you're going to brew in a bag, one trick I'll give you is have them double mill it for you. And that's going to allow more contact come in into the grain with the water and so therefore you're going to get a higher gravity or closer to your target gravity gravity that you're looking for. If you if you don't give it give it enough of a of a mill, you're going to struggle hitting your numbers when you're trying to get a, to a certain gravity. So that that is one kind of quick trick when you're brewing in a bag. Another trick is that you're going to now kind of go out and pick a bag. And you could go to your local homebrew shop. Chances are that they sell a bag, and there are different types out there. And when you, if you, if you're listening to this show right now, head over to the show notes. I'm actually going to put some links to some different bags. I'm also going to put a link to uh, Brew Bag from Brew in a Bag, Brewinabag.com. I will tell you is a sponsor of this show, but the reason they are a sponsor of this show is because it's a piece of equipment that I've used myself for years. It is by far the best brew bag that I, I've, I've found out there. The brew bag has some great features to it. And not just the fact that it's reinforced with some really great straps and hooks that are going to allow you to manipulate the bag better, but it also has a certain micron level. It's it's a finer mesh But it also allows the liquid to flow through it quite easy, and they're super durable. I've brewed over 100 batches with my current bag, and it's still going strong. So the idea is that this is the type of bag that you're going to be able to brew with for a very long time. I had other bags when I was first starting out, and I had issues with them. For example, they would break easily after a few batches, and they would do things like they, they weren't fine enough of a mesh and so they would let more grain particulate out and so i had clarity issues when i was uh, making my beer so just that would be the bag i personally recommend and not because they're a sponsor i really use that bag and that's the one i would recommend but if cost is an option it is a much more expensive bag and you're looking for uh, a cheap and easy way i will link to some bags as well, probably on Adventures in Home Brewing, and you could go and check those out, and they are going to have really great results as well. And you're going to be able to still make great beer using another bag. So, picking a bag is important, and so I highly recommend you pick a bag that's going to suit you and your brewing setup out the gate. The next thing you're going to need to do is you're going to have to do some pre-brew planning right so for example you've you've now purchased a new kettle that's going to be able to hold all of your volume some recommendations are obviously you want to look for a 10 gallon kettle and i will link to some kettles and some really great ones as well in the show notes and if you're also looking for an inexpensive way to get into brewing a bag A great way is also to just get a turkey fryer. My first brew-in-a-bag setup was actually a seven-gallon turkey fryer. I did three-gallon batches, and it came with the burner, and it was a great way to do so. Another piece of equipment that you're probably going to need is going to be an outdoor burner. The reason you can't totally brew in a bag if you're doing smaller batches in your kitchen, but if you're trying to brew like eight to ten gallons worth of liquid, from your kitchen stove, it just doesn't have enough juice and your brew day is going to get really long waiting for things to come to a boil. And managing all of that in your, in your kitchen is going to be tough. But if you have a like turkey fryer burner or a stand burner with a, a propane tank attached to it, you're going to be able to get to a boil quickly and you're going to be able to do so in a way that's going to actually cut down on your time. I have a keggle, which is essentially a hollowed out uh, a, a keg with the top cut off for a kettle. I have that set up with a brew bag, and I also have a Bayou Classic burner that's a 200,000 BTU burner. This thing's a monster. And I've actually got my brew day down to about four and a half hours because I can get to a mash temperature for my strike water, and I can get to a boil quite quickly. So if you're doing an electric system, so for example, uh, you know, let's say you have a -a brew-in-a-bag electric system. If you're doing a a 120, because we're here in the United States, those are also going to take a while to get up to temperature. And they're also going to take a while to get up to boil from from your strike water to your temperature. The other part is, is that if you are using a 240 connection, you're also going to get a faster boil. So just a couple tricks if you're doing electric. But we're going to assume that you're using a burner with a kettle with a bag. And these are going to be the main pieces of equipment that you're going to use for your mashing stage. So now you're going to have to plan out your beer. And you've got your kettle. You've got your bag. You've got your burner. And now you have to figure out the beer you're going to make. You've entered it into your homebrewing software. If you're using homebrewing software and you've put in all of your equipment information into it, it's going to help you figure out what your volume is going to be to be your initial full volume, how much absorption you're going to get from grains when you pull the bag out. And and we'll get into squeezing the bag or not squeezing the bag later, but let's say you squeeze the bag, it can factor in that absorption rate. And then it's also going to factor in the boil off rate of your kettle. Now, when you're putting in your equipment, you may not know these things, and there are a couple of tricks. If you need to know the boil-off rate of your kettle, a great way to do so is is to put in, if you have a kettle that has markings in it, it makes it even easier. If you have a kettle that doesn't have markings in it, what you can do is if you put in a gallon at a time and take a stick and put lines on the stick for each gallon that you put into the into it, you'll know where your gallon markers are. And then you can take that, let's say you put five gallons of liquid of water into it, boil it for 30 minutes and see what boils off times that by two. And you know what your boil off rate is per hour. Another way to do so is also if it has markings into it, fill it up with five gallons, three gallons, it doesn't matter, but then boil it for 30 minutes and let it evaporate off times that by two. And you now know what your boil off rate per hour is. And then you're going to add that into your brewing software so that that's going to, factor in to what your final volume will be. There's also some great calculators that I'll link to in our show notes. I have a brew in a bag calculator that's a great place to start and actually where i started in my early days was doing this calculator and i did it outside of my brewing software so that i could actually put the numbers that i got from my brewing calculator into it and it has a couple of cool things you can do in this calculator such as measure the diameter of your kettle and that can help you to figure out what your boil off rate is going to be based on that so it's also got a couple of cool tweaks in it that allow you to factor in whether you squeeze the bag or not. And it even factors in the absorption rate of hops and all of the malts that are in it. So it's, it's a great place to start. And then when you build your equipment profile, you can enter those numbers in as you're building that equipment profile. And then your brewing software can kind of take over from there. So kind of some cool tips there. All right. So now you've done some planning when it comes to figuring out what your volumes are in your setup. Now let's get into making your beer. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to put the full volume in and I'm going to walk you through my setup, whether my setup is going to be completely different, but I'll tell you, but that's a good place to start. My setup, it, it, if I want to end with a five and a half, half gallon batch and I'm making a 1050 beer, I'm going to need any around 11 pounds of grain I'm going to need about 8.1 gallons of water and that it, my grain bill will be about like I said, my grain bill will be around 11 pounds total. And we're talking about three or four ounces of hops here. Not, not, not a ton of hops going into this beer. And I'm going to mill my grain as by strike waters heating. And as my strike waters heating, it's getting up to the temperature I need to basically mash in at a certain temperature. Let's say my target mash temperature is going to be around a 152. I'm looking for a medium bodied beer. And so what you're going to want to do with brew in a bag is, and the calculator that I'm going to give you will have all of this in there, but you can go in and you can say, hey, the grain temperature is room temperature. And so based on that, I need to bring my strike water to about 156 so that when I add 11 pounds of grain, it's actually going to bring the total volume down three degrees. And boom, you're at 153 and you're going to want to maintain that. So first thing you're going to do is stir it all in, get contact with all of the grain and get it all kind of mashed in. And then what you're going to want to do is you're going to turn off the heat, mash in, and you're going to want to sit there for one hour and let it mash a couple of cool tricks that I I've learned with my brew in a bag setup are depending on the time of year, I have to wrap things like a blanket around it to try to help it maintain temperature. And I want to check my temperature often to make sure that it's not varying throughout the column and throughout the entire brew day in the hot summer months. I tend to not have to wrap it. It holds temperature pretty well, but in the winter months I definitely have to wrap it and I might have to put a little bit of low heat to bring it back up to temperature to help maintain it at that 153 temperature range. Uh, it also depends on the thickness of your mash. And so if you have a thicker mash, it's going to maintain temperatures better than if you have a thinner mash, but either way you want to try to continually take temperatures with a thermometer and make sure that your mash is trying to hold as close to that 153 or whatever temperature you are mashing at. We're going to hold that temperature for 60 minutes. And in that 60 minutes, what's going on here is that conversion to sugars. And so there are are some ways that you could tell that it's converted a great way to tell is just taste it it's going to be really sweet after an hour and you're going to know it's going to happen another way is what's called the iodine test you could take a sample of wort and put a few drops of iodine into it and if it uh changes color you now know that it's gonna be it's been converted and so therefore uh you can you, you've now know that your your mash is converted and that your sugar level should be there. Another way to check is also just check the gravity and you'll see that there is actually sugar there. And you'll usually be around 10 points off of what your final gravity will be because you're going to boil off some liquid as you as you boil off and it's going to raise the amount of concentration in the sugars. So those are some ways to see if you've got your conversion. Once you're done, you're going to lift the bag out. And there's a couple of things you can do when it comes to lifting the bag out. And there are a lot of different contraptions that people have out there. Uh, I would say the most common that I see out there is actually a pulley system. So for example, people will put a pulley in their garage with a rope and they'll have a carabiner and they'll actually then hook their bag to the carabiner and lift it out and then hover it over the liquid and like let the wart drain out. Now there's a couple ways you can do this now here. And, One way is that if you held back, let's say, a gallon or two of that water, you could actually keep it warm, uh, keep it around 170, and you could pour that through the grains to rinse the grains. That is one way. And it's kind of like a -a brew-in-a-bag sparge method. I personally don't do that. The way I do it is I squeeze the bag. And I squeeze the hell out of my bags. And there's been a lot of people out there that say the squeezing your bag is going to give you an astringent flavor. I've been brewing for a bag in a bag for a decade. I've never had a problem with astringent flavors in my beer. And I squeeze my bag to death. Like there is no liquid coming out of there when I'm done. So uh, another way to do it. And you can squeeze that from the pulley over your kettle and get all of that out. One thing you are going to want to have that is very hot liquid. You're going to want to have some very thick rubber gloves that are going to hold back that heat so that you're going to be able to squeeze the bag. I have some PVC gloves that I use. They're about six bucks. I bought them from Home Depot, and I recommend doing something like that. Another way, if you don't have a pulley system, and this is a trick I use all the time when I brew in my backyard, is I I actually have a colander, a pretty large colander that I bought at a restaurant supply store. And what I'll do is I'll actually pull the bag out and I'll set the colander right on top of my kettle and set the bag into the colander and kind of let it drain off. And then at that point, I'm actually trying to ramp up to a boil and I'm still allowing it to drain off. And then as it, kind of slows the draining. I will actually move the colander over to a bucket and I'll just sit there with those same PVC gloves and squeeze the bag through the colander and really get all of the liquid out of there and then pour that back in. So that's another great trip to get all of the wort out. But it is a real big deal to get all the liquid out of there because if you leave too much behind, you are going to miss your gravity numbers. And that is one of the things when it comes to brewing with a bag. You, you want to really focus on getting all of the liquid out of that bag and leaving the grain as dry as possible when you, when you go to discard it with however you do. And at that point, you're now going to go into your brew day the way you have with all your other brew days, right? You're, you're going to pull the bag out. It's going to be set aside. I actually take the leftover grain and I put it into my compost, and that's what I do. Some people make dog biscuits out of it. There's, there's tons of things you can do with your, your leftover grains. But once that happens, you're now ramping up to a boil, and you're going to go through your brew day like you did before with your extract batch. You now have wort. You're going to get bring it up to a boil. You're now going to add your hops for the hour. You're going to do your cool down, and you're going to now work on getting to your you're now going to work on getting to your pitch of your yeast. One thing I will say is that another piece of equipment you're probably going to want at this stage is you're definitely going to want some sort of immersion chiller, at least. Uh, You could get an immersion chiller for about $50. They're not super expensive, but I highly recommend that if you're going for a full volume, getting an immersion chiller is going to be something that's going to allow you to get your beer cooled down in a, in a manner that's going to actually help you get through your brew day quickly. When you were trying to do two or three gallons and get that cooled down in an ice bath, you could totally do that in about an hour. It would actually get down to temperature. But now if you're doing that to five and a half gallons, you're looking at a lot of time to get that to cool down quickly. And that amount of time just means that you're not going to get your cold break as good. Uh, cold break is actually when you get down... Below 120, all of the proteins in the beer kind of coagulate and drop to the bottom. And you want, and so it is good to cool down as fast as, as possible because the faster you can cool, you're going to get a better coagulation of those proteins and they're going to fall out of your beer and they're going to make your beer less cloudy. So it is a good thing to try to get your beer to cool down quickly. And so once you go to these full volumes and you're going all grain, it is a good idea to have some sort of cooling mechanism to cool your wart whether that's an immersion chiller whether that is a a a counter flow chiller whether that's a plate chiller that's up to you they all range in prices but a a good immersion chiller is something i would recommend and like i said they're pretty inexpensive my my current immersion chiller i have a jaded brewing hydra it's a pretty expensive immersion chiller it's around 170 dollars, but i can cool down from boiling to a pitching temperature depending on my groundwater temperature i've done it as fast as 10 minutes in the winter and in the summer it only takes about 20 minutes so it does cool very 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 quickly I can actually look at my temperature gauge. I have an analog temperature gauge on the front of my kettle, and I can actually see it moving in real time. It, it's cooling my, my wort so fast. It's pretty amazing. That being said, there are going to be a lot of people out there, and you're going to talk to a lot of homebrewers out there that are older, and they might kind of poo-poo the brew-in-a-bag method. And here's something I want to tell you. it Brewing in a bag is 100% all-grain brewing. There, don't let anybody tell you differently. I've won gold medals with brew-in-a-bag beers, and I've seen a lot of gold medals handed out to brew-in-a-bag beers. There are people out there that have a dogmatic approach to how they brew all grain, and they can totally do that. But the point I, I want to say to you is that don't look at the brew-in-a-bag method as any way, in any way inferior to a three-vessel system. It's just the way that you chose to go to all grain. And to be honest, brewing a bag for me has been a great way of helping new brewers get to all grain quicker because you don't have to buy three vessels to get to an all grain. You don't have to buy a sparging setup. You don't have to buy all of this extra equipment. You essentially need to buy a chiller, a bag, a kettle and a burner. And you have everything you need to go all grain. And then if you had all the stuff you needed from your extract batch, you've now added just a few pieces of equipment and you're able to have a great setup to be able to brew an all-grain beer. Now let's talk a bit about a great recipe to start for your first all-grain beer. The re- One of the things that I would recommend in your first all-grain beer is a smash beer. And the reason I recommend a smash beer is because you're gonna have so many new things coming at you you want to kind of simplify one aspect of that, and that can be the recipe. So what is a smash beer? A smash beer essentially is a single hop and a single malt beer. So smash, single malt, single hop. That is actually what the acronym is. And a smash beer can be any two malt, any one malt, and any one hops. But what I'd recommend doing is just taking an American two-row smash beer, so you're going to take American Two-Row, and I would say take about 10 pounds of American Two-Row, and then pick a hops. Uh, I did my very first smash beer where I did, where I did American Two-Row and Cascade Hops, and I made an ale out of it. And I used some cold yeast in it, considering that it was a light beer, so I just decided to go with a, light, uh, a lighter type of yeast, right? Pick a yeast, and th- you're ready to go. Pick out whatever hopping schedule you want to put into it. If you want to make it really hoppy, you can. If you want to make it less hoppy, you can. That's up to you. But the idea is that if you, if you go that road, you're going to have a very simple recipe going into it. And then you're going to be able to f- figure out if you do something wrong, it's going to be a lot easier because you're, not, you're going to have less variables in your recipe. The last piece of advice I would love to give you is relax. This is your first all-grain recipe you might screw something up and it's okay. Still go through the entire brew day, still go through it as if you're going to do it. Like, like, for example, I will get emails of people that are like, hey, I was supposed to mash at 153 and I mashed at 149. Is my beer going to be okay? Yes, your beer is going to be just fine. You in the end are going to make very good beer and it's going to taste great. One of the advantages of going all grain versus going with extract, and this is what's I like to tell people is that you now have the ability to really fine tune beer to be the beer that you want it to be, but you have to learn the process before you can get to that level. And so just getting through a batch is going to be really important. And so, yeah, you might miss your mashing by a couple of, of degrees, not a big deal. Uh, you might miss your gravity points by a couple points, not a big deal. Don't sweat all these things that happen. Just get through your brew day, get through the process, and then the next time you make the... And then make that same beer again. And the next time you do it, figure you've already figured out what you did wrong and fix those issues next time. And all of a sudden, you're going to hit your numbers. It does take, I would say two to three batches all grain to really get your system dialed in. And so don't sweat if you end up with, you know, you you were shooting for five gallons of, of wort to go into your fermenter and you hit ended up with six and your gravity was too low. You could boil longer and get there. Not a big deal. The other thing that you can look at is let's say you were shooting for five and a half gallons. You ended up with four and a half and your numbers are right on. It doesn't matter. Just put it in the fermenter. Uh, It's just things like that happen with beer and you can't sweat the small stuff in the end. It, you In time, you'll get to know your system very intimately. And as you get to know that system intimately, what will happen is you will get to where you get more consistent beer. That is actually the goal of being a great brewer, is not making a whole bunch of beers all the time, is if you can make the same beer five times and make it the same way every time, that's the difference between a good brewer and a great brewer. That's That's just my own kind of uh philosophy so don't sweat it you're gonna make beer it's gonna be good well i think that's it for this week talking about your first brew in a bag batch please check our show notes so that you can dive in and see where the different types of bags the different types of equipment we talked about today and i really am excited to see some of the all grain batches that my listeners have uh now made because of this episode so please send me feedback on that Thanks. Well, I want to thank everybody who stuck with me this far into the show and just let you know that uh, I've got two more episodes of the beginner series, and then we'll get back to kind of normal homebrewing DIY stuff with interviews and such. That being said, you can always leave me feedback. Just send an email to podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer. And you can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all under the handle one word homebrewingdiy. Well, that's it for this week, and we'll see you next week on Homebrewing DIY.